Welcome to the Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Keister, the show's producer, here with hosts Drew Boreen and Lexi DeLuna. Let's get ready to connect with somebody new today. Welcome to the Connection Podcast. I'm here with one of my favorite people, honestly, Yarek Bartel. Say hi, Yarek. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Are we going to get Kate on the show, too, at some point? Uh, she said she's not opposed to it, but she she's just kind of busy and has her mind on other things right now. So we'll see. I've been, I'll push her a little bit. Oh my gosh. All right. Kate Bartels, if you come on the podcast, everything's great and we'll be fine. But know this, if you don't come on the podcast, I have a very particular set of tools, <laughs> tools that make me a nightmare for people like you. <laughs> and I will, I promise I will find you and I will interview you. All right. So promise to Kate. Okay. Sounds good. We'll see if she listens to this episode. Yeah. Hopefully I've been trying it and talking it up. I mean, you've had some good, good, uh, I've only listened to two. I'll be honest. I've only listened to two, but both, uh, Tina and Dave were great interviews. I mean, and I'll tell you what everybody tells me and you, you said this too, but they always say, I don't know what I'm going to say. That's interesting. And we always end saying this was great. And I don't know if we're ever going to have a bad episode. Yeah, I hope not. Well, Yark, let's let's start. Give me your giving a talk in sacrament meeting introduction. You're in a new ward. Let's go. Okay, so I'm Yark Bartels. I'm a middle school band and orchestra teacher at Agnes Stewart. Uh, I was born and raised in Southern California. I came up to Oregon to go to the U of O, go Ducks. Um, I met my wife while I was in school. I finished school and then we got, I got a job at a really small school in Sherman County and I taught there for three years and then the Agnes Stewart position opened up and I applied and I got it. So we moved back here. We've been here for about five years. And in that time, this is Kate and I will be married this July, 10 years. And we have four kids, an eight-year-old Evelyn, a six-year-old Hiram, a little Spitfire, uh, three-year-old named Gemma, and then, <laughs> and then my birthday buddy, <laughs> yeah. and then my birthday buddy Gideon, who, uh, who will be a year old in just a couple weeks. Oh, wait, so Gideon, how is he a birthday? Like same day? Same day. We're both born February second. Oh my gosh, what's it like having a kid on your birthday? Uh, well, it was super cool. He was actually supposed to be, all of our kids have come early. He's the first one that was late. He was supposed to be born at the end of, of, uh, January and he came February 2nd. They, they actually started, um, to induce on February 1st, but he did not, he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to come. He wanted to be born February 2nd. So (laughs) it's kind of cool. And he's the first kid that has really like attached himself to me. He, I mean, I think all my kids love me, but they're definitely all more with mom. They spend more time with mom, but he follows me around the house. He wants, he, he will go out of mom's arms to come to me. He, he just, so it's been pretty cool. That's awesome. And you spell, you share that special bond, right? Of yeah. Birthday buddies. So when, when you do it, when he does celebrate his birthday, did, do you get presents too? Do they celebrate or is it so, like, Oh, by the way, Yarek also, I don't know. Well, we'll see. This will be the first year. I know people are going to be like texting me, hey, what does Gideon want? I mean, he's only going to be one. He doesn't know what he wants. So I might be asking for like, 
an Xbox Series X or telling him like that's what Gideon really wants. So, <laughs> so we'll we'll see if they buy it. Awesome. Wait, wait. So Xbox Series X, are you a gamer? Uh, occasionally, I wouldn't say I'm a gamer. I do like to play video games, but I honestly I can't remember the last time I picked up my Xbox controller. I've been playing more uh, like Mario Party with the kids on the Wii. Oh, legit. Yeah, we we should definitely get together. That would be fun. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious right off the bat here. You go to U of O, but you grew up in California, yeah. right? So what drew you to the U of O? Oh, um, so I knew, I served my mission in Ohio, and Ohio is very green. Um, and then I came back to Southern California, and I actually grew up in the desert part of California, which is not green at all. And so I knew I wanted to go to school somewhere that was going to be green. Um, and so I was looking at different schools, but I didn't want to go super far. So I was I looked at the U of O program and I had very specific ideas of what I wanted my program to be. I wanted it to be challenging and I really wanted to get the most out of my education that I could. And when I was researching different programs, I mean, there's lots of great music programs all over. But one thing U of O did is they gave you time on every instrument to learn it. And they also all of their professors had to be. Um, public school teachers for 10 years before they could become professors. So those are two things that really attracted me to the program. And then um, I, I also knew I kind of wanted to go somewhere where I was just getting into college football. I hadn't really been into college football. <laughs> yes. But when you serve in Ohio, Ohio State. The football, Ohio State. Yeah. It's, a, it's another religion there. So I kind of was following Ohio State. And when I got back from my mission, I was kind of really into Ohio State. And I knew I wanted to go to a program place that probably had a good football team because I was going to be in the marching band. I wanted free college football tickets. And if I'm going to go to a college football game, I'd, I'd like to see a team play well. So there was, the, there was that kind of aspect too. But for the most part, it was the way their, their program was set up. And they had 100% job placement. So every teacher that goes through their program got a job. And so, you know, just those were what I was looking. And so I got accepted and I made the move. I like it. And when you talk about, that's kind of interesting that they had that real life experience requirement. Yeah. Did you, after you went to the school, do you feel like you got that payoff? You, you got to experience everything you were hoping for? Uh, yeah, for sure. And it's, it's just interesting um, because my brother, who's also a teacher, he, he went to U of O, but he didn't go through the music ed part. He went through just their normal education, right, for um, bachelor's in education. And our programs were very, very different. His Most of his professors only taught three years and then became professors. And so their experience was very limited on what they would actually be seeing in the classroom. Um, whereas my teachers, I felt really prepared. I mean, as prepared as you can be to go and teach. What years did you go to U of O? Um, so I started in uh, September of 2011, and then I graduated. Yeah, 2011, and then I graduated in June of 2015. Oh my gosh! So you basically got to experience the best period of yeah, Oregon football. I missed. I missed the uh, my my first game was the Rose Bowl where we beat Russell Wilson and, and with Wisconsin. That was my first, so that was my first football season. And then I didn't do, 
I only did the marching band season for the freshman and sophomore year because your junior year um, in the music program, that's you actually don't get accepted to the music ed program until you're a junior. So you have two years of prereqs and then you have to apply and you have to audition and do all that stuff. And then you start really getting heavy into your ed courses. So I didn't end up doing the marching band, but I, I missed out when they went to the playoff game. That would have been a year I could have gone, but that's that was kind of a bummer. But, you know, I had a family at the time and with school, it was kind of the best choice to just take that off the, the slate. What was it like being a student at University of Oregon during that heyday of the Chip Kelly era for college football? Oh, I mean, it's awesome. It's always, I think it's always a good time to be at, at a U of O. I really like being on campus. I really like being on the, around the music um, department because there's always people playing and everything like that. But it's, it's always fun. And, you know, you you get to see players sometimes on campus. That's cool. I remember driving by and seeing Marcus Mariota like walk into class and just saying hey to him. And that's super so nice. cool. Oh yeah. my gosh, I'm just geeking out right now. That's <laughs> so cool. Did you know Stetson at all? Did you? Um, so I knew who Stetson was. I don't know if I wouldn't say we knew each other. I don't know if he knew me, but I like obviously I knew who he was, and um, I think at one point my brother actually knew him pretty well because they I think they were like home teaching companions or or something when they were in a ward like when, Ian, yeah Ian Ian, wow. when they were when he was playing because he I remember seeing him play a game and then I think that's just like when he had his his wife had a bit, their baby or something and Ian was telling me about it we were watching the game and he I was remember like, oh, there yeah. was a there was a newspaper article about it yeah. and I read it before I even really knew Stetson yeah the national championship yeah, I think so. Yeah, or was it was it the Rose Bowl playoff game? I don't remember. It was a what. big bowl game. I remember yeah. they actually like he went out and yeah. he was waiting to see if Bethany would deliver. Yeah, yeah. So I knew of him, but I didn't actually know him. Yeah. Well, you're a teacher now. Yeah. Walk us through what the life of a band teacher is like. Um, so yeah, being a music teacher is really enjoyable. I mean, I love what I do, um, getting kids to play instruments and just seeing them improve sometimes daily, sometimes over weeks and months has been really, really cool. It's sometimes hard to start at the beginning of the year. Um, especially like last year, I started three because we were just coming out of COVID. I started three new bands and three new orchestras. None of my students had like ever played anything because I had my eighth graders last year had been in sixth grade band and sixth grade orchestra for six months, seven months. And then we went on spring break and then we never came back. Right. So I basically started three new groups and that was kind of hard um, this year. I only had to start one new, you know, the new band, the sixth grade band and orchestra kids. So that wasn't as hard. But just getting kids started is always the big thing, getting instruments in the hands. And it's so much more than just like, oh, this is your instrument. You have to teach them how to hold it. You have to teach them how to sit up, how to put it together, how to take it apart without breaking it. And so there's a lot. But then once we get playing, it's just coming in and rehearsing. I work on rhythm with my kids every day. Um, we do warm-ups or intonation exercises just to get them more comfortable with their instruments and making the best sounds they can. And then 
we work through music. We have concerts that we're doing. We're planning for festivals. We try and um, I try and get kids out of the classroom as much as I can because it's a performing arts. So we'll take trips to U of O. We'll take uh, we'll go to the high schools and visit the high schools. I'll have um, the high school teachers and U of O professors come over and work with my kids, and it's just it's just a lot of fun. A lot of like really good work. Awesome. What kind of help do you have in the class? Is it just you or do you have aides there? Or Oh, I don't have any aides. It's just me. <laughs> wow. So what is that like? Because you're seeing a lot of kids in band, orchestra, right? Yeah. Well, it's just a, it's just really important to establish um, like procedures because that's I don't have to do as much again at the beginning of the year. I have to do a lot more where I'm enforcing the procedures really hard. But then eventually the kids just learn what they're supposed to do. They come in, they get their instrument out, they start playing music. When I start class, we go through the rhythm, then we do warm ups and everything I just said. And then they put their instruments away. My eighth graders are both groups are really good when rehearsing now um, because they, when I have to work with a small group, they know they have to just be quiet and they're good about about doing that it makes it a lot easier i have other groups that talk so then it's a lot more <laughs> yes. it's a lot more dealing with behavior than actually teaching music right yeah and what instruments do you play yark uh well do you mean well because i only play a couple instruments what well. do you play well we'll start there and then what do you kind of know so i would say i Obviously, I play French horn is my main instrument. I could play that at a college level. Um, I play, I, I've done trumpet since I was a f in fifth grade, so I can play that at a pretty well level. And those are my two main ones. And then I really like the clarinet, so I've been working on that. I play that. I could probably, I play, well, I could play with my middle schoolers if I want to play clarinet. Um, trombone, I could kind of do the same thing. Tuba, kind of the same thing. I can play with my middle schoolers on those instruments. Per just the drum parts, I can play all the drum parts um, for the middle school stuff. My roles aren't great, but I can do a lot of the things that they're doing and keep up. Um, instruments, saxophones, I can do that too. I'm a horrible flute player. Horrible, horrible flute player. My my sixth graders are better than me, and they they really like that they can play their flute better than me. Little aside on that, actually, in middle school, I started on the flute because I was thinking only girls play flute. So yeah. this is my end with the girls. It's a good way to think about it. Yeah. It didn't work very well. No. I ended up playing clarinet. Oh yeah. Yep. That is my favorite band sound. Like if I had to pick one section like of the sound that I really enjoy, clarinet would be my favorite. The French horn is the best sound overall, but the like band sound is clarinet. I really like the clarinet. What's it like as a teacher? I'm thinking from my own experience because with our oldest son Levi, seeing him really enjoy and thrive with the tuba and the string bass. Yeah, seeing that unlock for him was just so magical. Um, I wonder what what it's like for you when you are working with a kid and it just clicks. And well, I think that's I think that's a reason why a lot of teachers get into it is because seeing that click is is really really cool. And like just this year, I had a sixth grader who started off on percussion. She thought she really wanted to do percussion, and she wasn't a bad percussionist, but it wasn't as engaging as she was hoping. It wasn't 
you know, not that, again, not that she was bad. So then she decided, well, we don't have a tuba. Why don't I try tuba? And she was really, uh, really a big struggle for her. She couldn't quite hit some of the beginning notes. So then we tried baritone and she's just like exploded, gone through the whole book on her own. She's learning seventh grade music now and eighth grade music. And it's just cool to see like, oh, that's it. That's a kid that, that gets it. They found what they're really good at. And that's, that's what I love about teaching. I have another eighth grader that seems to be causing havoc in everybody uh -huh. else's classrooms. Right. But he loves cello. So he comes in, he plays his cello and he's behaves pretty well for me. I mean, he's still, he's still an eighth grade boy, but he, it, that's his thing. And so I, that's one of the things I love most about being a music teacher is just helping kids find their things because not every kid's going to be really good in academics or really good at sports or really good. Like I'm a terrible artist. And if my school <laughs> only offered art, I'd be in big trouble, but you know, just trying to help kids find their, their thing. I'm going to throw a question back at you because you made me think of something. A lot of the time when a child has behavior issues, our first instinct is correct the behavior. How do we stop that? And I'm thinking that sometimes the best answer is find what they love and what they're passionate about and lean into that and the rest of it resolves itself. I don't, does that ring true to you sometimes? Um, yeah, it for sure can. Um, there's a really popular video online of this. I mean, I'm blanking on his name or even what group. He's a drummer. But he, he remembers being like, I don't know, probably third grade, fourth grade. And he was always super like, fidgety and he used to get in trouble for it all the time and his teacher was called him and said hey you have to stay after class now because he was fidgeting and he was like really down on himself because he was like trying really hard but he couldn't he couldn't stop and so everybody left to go out to recess and his teacher said come here and he walked over and he's just really upset he goes I'm trying really hard and he's like I think the problem is you're a drummer and he gave him his first pair of drumsticks. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. now he's like a professional drummer. And I don't think that's the case for everybody, but there are definitely kids out there that they just need their, their thing. And I don't think every kid that's in music needs music to be their whole life, but maybe it's the way they get through middle school or they get through high school. Totally. Yeah. That was my experience. Absolutely. Well, we got some stories here. Yarek. Okay. We've got, one about your mission, where a guy tried to burn you with a cigarette. Oh, We've yeah. got your college years, staying active. We've got the story about Kate giving you a gift back. Where do you want to start? Why don't we start with the uh, the mission? That's probably that's the furthest one away. All right, let's go. I've, I've been waiting to hear <laughs> the story. So, like I said, I served in Ohio. I was in the Columbus, Ohio mission. And um, in Ohio, Ohio is different than, than Oregon in that it's super religious there's like there's been small towns that i've gone to in ohio where it seemed like it had more churches than people are you serious yeah, yeah. so like there is just i mean churches everywhere and there's only like 15 people and you're like oh, why are there so many churches here um so very religious uh community and we'd walk around and we get all we'd get all the time like oh you're jesus people or um, hey, we don't want anything that you've got kind of stuff. I'm already been saved. That was a big one. I've been saved. I don't need you. And one time we were walking and my companion and I and this guy, we, we were walking up to just say, hey, and he's there and he's smoking a cigarette. Um, 
and when you're just like, hi, we're, we're elders from the Church of Jesus Christ. And you're like, oh, I know who you are. And uh, you guys believe that you can become gods. And that's that's a lie. That's evil. And I was like, well, do you go to church? He's like, yes, I'm a fundamentalist Baptist. And I was like, so do you read the Bible? And he goes, yeah. And I go, well, then you also believe that you can be God, gods. And he goes, no, we don't. And I was like, I can show you. And this, I will say, this is the time in my mission where I was kind of, I don't know. I learned my scriptures really well. And I loved just proving people wrong, which is not the the Boy, spirit you're supposed to have. Oh, my gosh. No, I can't even picture you that way yeah. now. So that's, I was. I really liked proving people wrong and just kind of showing them in their own Bibles how they didn't know what they were talking about, which is definitely not the spirit you're supposed to have. Um, and we, I, there's another story on that I could share too, but this one, he goes, I don't believe that. I go, it's in your Bible. And he goes, show me. So I, I pull out my scriptures. He's like, no, I don't want your Mormon Bible. I want you to show me in my Bible. And he reaches into his car. He was standing in front of his car and he pulled out a Bible. And so I go to Romans where it says we're heirs of, of God and, that we can inherit everything he has. And I said, so if we're heirs of our heavenly father, doesn't that mean you can become like your heavenly father? And he reads it and he just closes his book. And then he started to walk towards me. And I said, what are you doing? And he stuck his cigarette out and he's, he goes, I'm putting this out on your skin. I said, why are you doing that? And I just walked away, started to walk away. He goes, well, because what you're saying is blasphemy. You're going to burn in hell. I want you to know what it's like to burn in hell right now. Oh my God. And so we just walked away and he followed us for a little bit, but then we just kept going and he finally gave up. But yeah, he was kind of a yeah, interesting story. The only time I've ever been um, you know, told I I will say, yeah, probably the only time I've been told and someone trying to show me that what it's gonna feel like when I burn in hell. So did you freak out when he started motioning towards you or um I just kind of stepped away and was like, okay, well, we're done. We're obviously not going to talk about this anymore. And I just walked away. He was, I wouldn't say he was super aggressive. He wasn't like running at me or trying to do anything like that, but he was, you know, trying, if I, if I would have let him, he probably would have put a cigarette out on me. Oh my so. gosh. I'm just picturing now. So another reason to avoid hell is, you know, fire, brimstone, pitchforks, yeah. but also, People burning you with little cigarette butts. It's yeah. It's really not a good place. And it could be. I mean, part of it. Looking back, I mean, when we serve missions, well, when you and I serve missions, we were right. nineteen. We're stupid. Like, uh, like I said, I took enjoyment in proving uh, people wrong. And I remember going back to that other story. It's kind of alluding to. I I uh, got to a new area, and I had this companion, and he realized very quickly that I liked doing this. And he loved watching me just destroy people. So <laughs> yep. he uh, he took me, I think it was like our second or third night as companions. And he took me to this guy that always would bash them. And he'd just like come into my house and talk to me. And they always ended up bashing. And so we went in and I remember we were going back and forth for a few minutes. And I finally just laid down i don't even remember what the scripture was i don't remember how it all turned out but i laid it down and he read it and his point was completely destroyed and he shut his bible and he was like get out of my house i never want to see you guys again and so we left and that's when i realized like oh i'm supposed to be bringing people like unto christ like helping them learn the gospel and this is not doing that 
Like now that person has a bad view of what missionaries do wow. and that's my fault. And so after that, I just stopped. How far into your mission were you at that point? Um, six months. Okay. So pretty early in. Yeah. How does your mission change from that point on? Cause it sounds like you had that mental decision moving forward that you weren't going to take that approach anymore. Yeah. I mean, it, it does, it, it changed a lot. I just, and I realized my purpose was, I was supposed to be bringing people closer to Jesus Christ. Not necessarily like, yes, I want to help people come into the church, but not everybody's ready to come into the church. So I need to make sure that I am always leaving a good impression. So I always try to do that. And there's times where I, uh, I let my big mouth get in the way, and I like. I remember talking to one guy that was. I love picturing this side of you because oh. I, I, I just like I've known you for a little while, and you're you're awesome, and I I can't yeah. picture the, know you're wrong stickler no. in your quartels. Well, you should talk to my wife because she knows I like to be right, so she likes to be right too. But <laughs> we do have those moments where I have to. I if I know I'm right, I have to prove it, and it's hard sometimes <laughs> to just let it go. But I remember going and seeing this member that was inactive and he was married to a non-member woman and we were um, just kind of talking and he goes yeah I've been thinking about coming back but my wife um, her family is all Baptist and of course I just thought back to the guy that tried to burn me in hell and I had a lot of experience with Baptists and they um, every experience I had with Baptists kind of went along the same way never as extreme as the that but a lot of the Baptists don't really like us. And so I just remember saying like, oh, that's unfortunate. And then we talked and he was like, yeah, come back another time. Well, I got transferred. And then um, I followed up with the missionary that took my spot a couple weeks later, like, hey, did you guys ever go back? And they're like, yeah, we did. But his wife said we couldn't come because some missionary opened his mouth and said they didn't like Baptists. So she thinks. <laughs> right. So again, I was just learning like, oh, that was just another moment where you got to be careful what you say because <laughs> we don't want people to have the wrong impression of us. Are there any people you worked with years later now reflecting on your mission that really stand out? doesn't have to be somebody that converted, but... Oh yeah, there's lots of um, people. One it, one story was my first. Actually, she was the first lady I probably ever taught. We uh, I get picked up from the airport. I go and meet my companion for the first time, and we have this meeting with the lady Polly Thomas, and she she had been meeting with the missionaries for a while. And her first ex she, first thing she said is, I'm never going to convert, but I want to know what this is about because her son had just converted and was actually serving a mission. And so she's like, well, I've just got to learn. She, she had the whole, wow. she dropped him off at the MTC and had felt the spirit so strong that she knew she needed to talk to the missionaries when she got back. And so they'd been teaching her and then I came in and taught her and she made a lot of progress when I was there and she got baptized and her husband who had been an inactive member like for 30 years got baptized. They got married in the temple. So that that's a really cool like experience to see that progression. That is really neat. It makes me think of the discussion we were just having in priest quorum today about when people experience the spirit, it's not always something they can put their finger on, but it's kind of an undeniable fact. Yeah. Like just when you flip on a light switch and illuminate a room, you can't 
at least most of us can't fully describe how everything works and the mechanism of turning on light, but you, everything is illuminated and you intuitively understand what happened. Yeah. That's cool. That's sweet. Well, the college story now. Let's go to college. Let's talk about that. Okay. Well, so I was in college and I was, uh, been in college for a few months now doing the marching man thing kept me pretty busy. Um, but I tried to go to the YSA ward, um, as often as I could. And I was trying to make friends, but it was kind of hard being like the new freshman. Nobody, I didn't really know anybody. I wasn't from the area at all and I hadn't really made any friends. And so I wasn't doing anything like bad, but I just find reasons not to go on Sunday. So I stopped like attending. I was attending an institute class. I wouldn't say regularly, but I would try and go to institute once a week or if I could, or once every other week. And I just got to the point where I was just like, not, wanting to do it anymore and I just kind of reflected back on my mission ex experiences and I just thought to myself is this true or is it not true because if it's true then I gotta do everything that I know I'm supposed to do and if it's not true then I can move on and so I remember just going well it's true and so from that day on I didn't miss Sunday I mean if I got really sick I would but I, I would and go to church even when I didn't want to. I started attending a institute class twice a week and, you know, and then from there, you know, shortly after I kind of made that decision, I started making more friends. I met my wife, I met Kate and, you know, my life's just been better. I was listening to Tina's podcast and she was talking about how she just, she, um, you know, talked about how she felt like, oh yes, God, everything depicts that there is a God. And I didn't have a moment like that so much as just a moment of, I've seen in my own life, people that have turned away from the church and what happens to them. And I knew I could have gone down that path or I could stick with what I know to be true. And I just know the benefits of doing what God wants are greater than not doing what God wants. I was gonna ask you that actually, what was the point where you decided that you had to move forward or, or go a different direction? Sounds like for you, you were reflecting on the negative things you've seen when people do leave the church. Yeah, like there's just so many times when people leave um, where they think they're gonna be happier and maybe for a time that they are, but you talk to, there's many times I've talked, and especially on my mission when I talk to people, they just kind of forget all of the joy that the gospel brings. And then they'll say things like, yeah, I just feel that I'm not as close to God, or I just don't feel as complete. I don't know why. And they've just kind of forgotten like, oh, that's because, you know, you don't have the companionship of the Holy Ghost with you as much as you, you should. Um, you know, you're missing that that God's loving, loving your life because you're not serving as much as maybe as you should. You're not, you know, going to church. You're not keeping your covenants. Those things have an effect on you. All right. Difficult question. You can blame me for that. Okay. You go through this decision process of I'm all in, I'm in the church. Do you think you needed to take that step to 
get to the point of meeting Kate and finding your eternal companion? Hmm, that's a good question. I've I've thought of that. It was actually weird because Kate and I were in the ward for a long time because at this point now, when we met, I'd been in the ward for almost two years. And because of like, and then like constantly, I didn't go home during the summer or anything like that. So, and she's from, she was living out in Pleasant Hill. So you guys were going to the ward together. And for two years and we didn't really know each other. We had some mutual friends. Yeah. Like, so I had started making some friends and everything like that. And I got on some date with some, some of the girls, one girl, I remember going out on a date with her. I was like, Oh, I could be kind of interested in her. And we went to a movie and she fell asleep in the movie. And that was a big <laughs> thing. Like, no, 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 I'm paying for this movie. You have to watch it. I'm a big movie guy. What movie was it? Oh, I don't even know if I know what movie it was. It was, yeah, I don't even remember. It might have been, I couldn't even tell you. I think I was so mad I blocked it all out because she fell asleep in it. I think I want to say it was a comedy too. Like when people are laughing, I'm just like, how are you falling asleep? How could you fall them? asleep during a comedy? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, but, you know, just kind of dating and seeing and then, um, yeah, but then we met, we actually met playing, uh, her dad came to a YSA activity and we were playing like flag football and she was the receiver and I was the defensive back guarding her and he threw it and he threw it too high. He threw it, no, he wasn't even throwing it in her direction. He was throwing it to someone on the other side of the field. So I ran over to like tag the guy and she pushed me from behind and I was like, what are you doing? You can't do that. And she was like, suck it up. And then just like ran off. And that was like our first experience. And then, yeah, then we started talking more. She apparently wanted to, uh, she has a friend that plays French horn and she had started to learn the French horn. She's always been really interested in like learning a musical instrument. And so then we, um, she was like, oh, come over for, uh, she was like, will you teach me French horn? So I, I did. We did one lesson. Then we just started talking after that. She never picked up the French horn again. But, you know, I got a wife out of it. So I guess so it was doubt. Was this was the French horn thing? Was it an excuse? Did you ask her about that? Or? Um, you know what? We haven't really ever talked about that. I really do think she was interested in the French horn. But it wasn't. Um, she was actually, after we got married, she started doing trumpet. Yeah. And it was before we had, um, I mean, we we got married and we've been married a year and then Evie came along. So we haven't had a lot of time, just us. But she she was actually early on in our marriage playing trumpet. She was a really good trumpet player. Um, so I think there's always been that interest. I just don't think the French horn was yeah. her thing. But, yeah, I guess that kind of leads to our next story. So we started talking and I found out it was her birthday. Her birthday is in November and she was asking me, I like to read and she likes to read. So she was asking me what I was currently reading. And I was reading Ender's Game for like the fourth or fifth time. And I was just telling her how awesome it was. And she goes, oh, I've never read that one. And so I said, oh, I think I have a copy of it. I, you, can, you can borrow it or have it. Well, she's like, okay, I'll come by tonight because she used to play soccer. Um, the YSA used to do like indoor soccer. And she goes, well, I'll come by after you soccer and pick it up then well i realized that my only copy was a kindle copy right and i was like well it's this girl's birthday and i kind of like her so i need to get her a gift so I was, we walked i didn't have a car at the time so we walked from our apartment over to valley river center which was i don't know maybe a mile 
So we walked there and my brother went with me and we bought bought it at Barnes and Noble and then I walked back and then I had it and I wrapped I like I'm pretty sure I wrapped it. She could correct you if I'm wrong. But I gave it to her and she uh oh it was unwrapped, but I gave it to her and said, Oh, here, I got this for you. And her sister was with her and she goes, Oh, actually, my mom has this copy. I don't need this book. And I was like, Oh, but I I got this for you. And she was like, oh, it's okay. My mom already has it. So she like gave it back. I always tell it like she threw it back in my face. And she 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 didn't. But um, her she gave it back to me. And then Ian was like, oh, is that why you had to go get it? And that's when her sister Erin realized, uh, Kate, he bought that for you. Like it's a gift. And right. then she was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Yes, I'll take it. So that was kind of her throwing the gift back in my face, but then accepting it later on. So when this happened, were you feeling pretty down like this girl I like just shot me down or um I don't know if I felt again it's so long ago I don't know if I felt that way I just remember being like oh well now I don't have anything to give her for her birthday and she uh I wanted her to know that I'm I'm interested in her so I was just trying to figure out a different way but it again it all worked out York do you still have the book uh yeah I think we do it's on our shelf somewhere um because it was hers and then now it's, I believe it's on our shelf somewhere. I still have the Kindle version. That's what I usually read. Okay. I have an idea for you. And if you do it, let me know. I think you should wrap the book every year. Oh yeah. That's a good idea. <laughs> Give it to her as a little reminder that she'd like that for about a year and then uh, she'll get old. She'd be like, this is old. <laughs> I'm going back when Kate first pushes you when you're playing flag football. Are you thinking this girl's crazy or are oh. you thinking I kind of like her personality. Let's go. Um, I don't, yeah, I think it was more of the first one, actually. Like, <laughs> what the heck is this girl doing? She obviously doesn't know how to play football. And she was a soccer player. And she definitely, I mean, she she uh, definitely wasn't a football player. But she actually has really good hands. Um, and she, she's actually really good. I was really into Ultimate Frisbee. And she was really good at Ultimate Frisbee. But she only played with me once because she hates ultimate frisbee she thinks it's dumb she's like it's just too much running I'm like you're a soccer <laughs> player <laughs> so but she yeah but i learned that's just her personality actually one of the when we were dating i went and watched her play she played for kick city and that's one of the things yeah. that attracted me she's she's not afraid of anything she would go and play and there'd be like these guys that are six four, six five, and she would just go up and try and take the ball from them. They like, I remember one guy was just like using his arm to kind of push her away, and she just kept coming at him from like all different angles. So and he great. was just kind of like, "What are you doing? Like, I'm way bigger than you. You can't get this ball for me." And she just like never gave up. So she's still like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. Um, Kate, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I asked the question. You can throw me under the bus for that. Um, you guys still play sports together. You played yeah. pickleball. You got into pickleball. Tell me a bit about that. Oh, it's the fastest growing sport in America. Um, and it is super fun. Uh, she this is actually one of the things we did when we, I think we were dating her dad and um, his friend Lee Sorter had just got into it. Her dad had been really big into tennis. I had to quit because he was getting tennis elbow and everything. So um, pickleball is like known as old man tennis, even though it's, I mean, you, 
we played. It's not like just for old men. So we play, we've done that. Craig and I have done, her father, Craig and I have done a couple tournaments together, just playing for fun. And Kate and I actually took second at a tournament we did. So I think there was only three people, three teams there. So we we beat one team and lost oh, the other. So. Yeah, not, you weren't last <laughs> Yeah, though. so super fun. She, she enjoys playing, and we actually really enjoy playing together. She um, doesn't love it as much as I do, but yeah, I mean, it's just... It's super fun. I think it's a sport just like golf that somehow is invented so old people can beat young people. Oh yeah, it. Well, and that's and it's it's really approachable. Like it's really easy to learn because um, I didn't. I've never had this experience, but I've talked to a lot of pickleball players where they say that tennis players don't like to play with younger tennis players or really teach them because. I mean, the court, when you're playing, courts are bigger. Right. You have to chase the balls a lot more. It's a lot more work. And so experienced players want to play with experienced players so they don't have to, like, run around and just, you know, want it to be more fun, which I get. And in the pickleball realm, there's definitely some of that. But it's a lot more approachable because you're standing, you play doubles, and you're, like, right next to your partner all the time. You can talk and communicate. And, you know, if someone makes a mistake, you're not running all the way over the ball. If a ball hits you, it doesn't hurt as much. So I, I think there's just a little bit, it's just more approachable. Cool. We were just talking before we started recording about how if you get into something, you, you go hard. Yeah. yeah tell, me, tell me a bit more about that. Oh, I just, it's funny because I really liked, again, going back to Tina's podcast, I really like what she said because... Kate and I are very different in this aspect where if I, I'm passionate about something, it's all consuming. And so she used the jackhammer and I'm like, that's, that's me. And then when I was telling Kate, I was like, Tina said she's a butterfly because she's like passionate about something and then she'll move on to something else and be passionate about that kind of thing. And they're, it's not that they're not passionate. They're just not like, it's just not all consuming. And when they get bored with it, they move on. And that's kind of more of what Kate is. She, she would really get into something and then it's like, okay, now I've learned that. And she, she learns and masters things really quickly. I think that's a difference too. She's a lot more talented than I am. So she'll learn something really quickly and then be like, oh, I've already got it. Okay. Time to move on where I'm like, no, no, no. I've got to learn every little intricate detail about it as much as I can. And I just, yeah, it just becomes all consuming. Like pickleball, I would play pickleball every day if I could. She would be like, uh, once a week. Yeah, that's fine. So, we know about music, pickleball. What else do you geek out on? Um, well, we kind of talked about the Ducks. I'm a huge Duck fan. You're my favorite person to talk to about the Ducks. Oh, I have yeah. to admit, hands down. I mean, more than Stetson? Come on, Stetson's got to know way more than I do. Stetson has boundaries, and he's well-adjusted. I need oh. to talk to somebody <laughs> crazy about the Ducks. Yeah, I'm a, yeah, my wife will say, Well, that's... <laughs> see, here's another story with Kate. This is... Uh, we started dating in December... So at the end of the football season, and then we got married in oh, July. So she never experienced. And I told her, I go, I'm, I'm obsessed with college football. I love college football. I love the ducks, but I love college football. It's one of my obsessions. I, I try and watch as many games as I can. And she was like, Oh yeah, that's okay. Like her dad likes college football and, and everything like that. She didn't realize what I, that I was being serious when I said obsessed. And so the first duck game we watched, I'm yelling at the screen and going crazy. And she was like, oh my gosh, it's just a game. She just couldn't believe how 
crazy I was. And it was like one Saturday I got up and sat on the couch and I just turned on football and she's like, what are we doing? And I was like, oh, I'm watching, I'm watching football. It's college football. And she goes, uh, I thought the duck game, I thought the ducks weren't playing today. Yeah. So I watch all the games. I watch as many. She's like, right. no, this is not going to work. You have to, <laughs> you have to do something else. So she's been good to kind of balance me out. That's good. I, I love how you said that because it sounded almost as if you were telling her that you're Batman or something. <laughs> <laughs> like this yeah. is going to be a really big yeah. part of it. <laughs> and so there's been times where I wouldn't say we ever fought, but she she's definitely been like, you cannot yell and scream. Children are sleeping. And so I've uh, um, I've had to cool it down a little bit. But yeah, college football. I like hockey. I'm not my team are the my team is the Detroit Red Wings and they haven't been good for a while so I haven't I kind of fizzled out on them but I've been hopefully they'll make the playoffs this year um but yeah music pickleball family I like love hanging out with my family that's kind of just me in a nutshell and you're a bit of a nerd would that be fair to say <laughs> that's what my wife would say why don't we say that she I never call myself a nerd but she she's always like yeah you're a big nerd so I mean, come on, like, what are some of the nerdy things you like? Because I... Oh, I am into, well, like we talked about, I like reading fantasy novels, The Ender's Game. I'm just started the Mistborn series by Brandon Sanderson. And yep. I just started that. I'm really, really into that. Um, I like Dungeons and Dragons. And, and we're, we're, we're getting a D&D &D group started. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's going to be sweet. I play Star Wars like D and D. It's not it's not the same thing, but it's kind of the same idea where you're role playing characters in outer space. And I like how you argue with Kate like I'm not a nerd, and I just heard <laughs> all the things you said, and I'm like, how can you deny it? <laughs> yeah, no, it's just fun. She's like, yeah, you know what you are. Do you get into Lord of the Rings or Star Wars at all? Oh yeah, so I love. I love this. I love Star Wars, and we love Lord of the Rings. Usually, we watch the extended trilogy at least once a year. What? Um, what's the best trilogy between the two? Oh, hmm. I would say the Lord of the Rings trilogy is probably yes. better than the Star okay, Wars trilogy. Let's go. Okay. Yeah, four, five, and six are great movies. I mean, there's so many great trilogies. I'm also a huge like lover of Batman, so the Dark Knight trilogy is one okay. of my favorite trilogies of all time too. Um. Yeah, there's lots of lots of really good trilogies out there, um, but Lord of the Rings is probably one. That's the one we watch every year. Yep. We we need to do a Lord of the Rings watch party. Yeah, um, I did that with Josh this year. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what like twelve hours of your life if you watch the extended versions, but it's worth the it. Extended, extended yeah, version. Yeah, it's yep. so good. All right. Well, shifting a little bit here, yeah. we we asked about your favorite callings you've held and priest corps advisor. Oh yeah, was one of them. Tell me more about that. Well, so I've loved. Um, I've I've been with the young men a lot. So when we lived in the, when we were in the Dalles, I was in the young men's presidency there um, and taught deacons. And then when we moved to Second Ward, uh, when we moved to Fourth Ward, sorry, we lived with Kate's parents for a while while we were looking for a house. I got called in the young men's presidency there and taught deacons. And then we moved to Second Ward. I got called to Young Men's Presidency like the month before they got rid of Young Men's Presidencies. So then they changed it to Young Men's Advisor. And then I taught deacons. And so when I got here, I was like, oh, I'm going 
and just be teaching deacons. And then he pulled, a, pulled me into the office and said, hey, why don't you call you into a young man advisor? And I was like, okay, that's what I've done everywhere. And you're like, but we want you to teach priests. And I was like, oh, and there's nothing against teaching deacons. Deacons are great. I've had really good experiences teaching deacons. Um, probably one of the best like lessons I've ever had from a young man actually was a deacon. It was uh, Henry Fuller, President Fuller's son, came yeah. and gave a great lesson. And that's probably one of my more memorable lessons. But it was nice to be with older kids. I mean, I, I get the deacon's age at middle school all the time. So it was nice to come and be with the older boys and hear their experiences and talk more about like, high school and grown-up stuff. So I really enjoyed doing that. Awesome. I had a question that I asked Tina as well on her episode. The current generation, Gen Z, whatever we want to call it, yeah, it's sometimes maligned for kids that are always on their cell phones that aren't paying attention. But I think what I've noticed working with youth is they have a lot of special qualities, unique compared to my generation or your generation. I wonder what you've noticed in your profession and also in your callings at church, special things about the youth of this generation. Um, special things. I would say they are, I find that kids that know who they are are a lot more secure in them than even like I remember growing up and being pretty sure I, I knew who I was, but still like questioning. Whereas these kids are like, nope, this is who I am and I'm comfortable with it. And they're a, they feel a lot more, I think, free to express themselves too. And I'm just um, amazed at the knowledge that they hold. I mean, they have all this, yeah, they, they can be on their phones a lot, but they, a lot of them are using it to become more knowledgeable about things that aren't taught in school or like, I have kids that go home and get on the computer and start looking for music that they can play or doing stuff like it allows them to dive into things they're passionate about without, you know, that they're not held back like we used to be where, you know, I didn't really have computers a whole lot. I mean, they were around, but I remember waiting for the dial up, like hearing that AOL nasty, like yep. sound. And they don't have that. They don't have to wait. They can just go and find whatever they're passionate about. And so I would say, too, I find that this group is um, they're they're really passionate people. They care about what's going on in their world with their friends. Like they're able to be a little more connected, too, I think, because of that technology, which is, you know, can be a good thing and a bad thing. But I find that um, the youth are really using a lot of it to be connected to people in a good in good ways. Part two of that question: How has working with the youth helped you to build your own testimony? Well, it's it's funny because Kate actually taught the young women today, and I remember telling her, like, I've worked with a lot of youth um, since we've been married, and I get to work with them all the time. And I go, the youth, and especially in this ward, are really, really. Um, awesome they're i mean they're terrific they really like being part of the conversation they really like um the gospel and so that has really shown me i'm how true the church is because these kids are um they they are lights in the world wow right and so i'm 
they they know who they are and they know what they're about and they're passionate about it and it's been a huge testimony builder to you know see kids sometimes i i even get afraid to you know say something like oh yeah i i did this on sunday our youth are not afraid they are not afraid to say that and that's been a huge like hey if they can do that to their friends in high school then i can definitely do it with my coworkers or whoever i'm talking to wow i'm getting two things from that you see the fruits of their labor and the fruits that they bear are something that confirms your own testimony yeah. and then i get this too where i see things that the youth do and it teaches me how I ought to be or what I should aspire to be in my own life. Oh yeah. Awesome. You also served as Sunday school president and taught in the Sunday school. That was a good experience. Yeah. So that was with the YSA ward. Um, I was Sunday school president and then I was a Sunday school teacher and then Sunday school president. And um, again, I really enjoyed that calling and probably my favorite part of being with the youth. I love doing activities. But I, I mean, I'm passionate about teaching. I love teaching. And so anytime I get a chance to teach, I I just really enjoy it. And so that was um, a different experience because when you're teaching music, um, I wouldn't say I'm as passionate about music as I am about the gospel. So it's fun to teach Sunday school where you get to be passionate about the gospel with other adults who are also passionate about the gospel. Yeah. So I, I thought that was a really cool experience. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but okay. are there any topics that are particularly interesting for you to dive into in the gospel or teach? Um, hmm. I've just been thinking a lot about our relationship with our Heavenly Father, and so I, I love teaching about, about that, like our you know, kind of what I said back with the story about the guy burning out, burning me with the cigarette. It's just realizing we're all children of God and how that can affect our perception of everybody we meet when we realize that. So that's um, a really good one. I really like talking. Kate and I have um, a really strong relationship. And so I really like talking about marriage in the gospel because it's things you have to work on. But if you're both really strong and you find ways to communicate, um, your marriage can be super strong. And if your marriage is super strong, then you can even be stronger in the gospel. I mean, that's why we we have these relationships. That's why we've been set up in families. Wow. Wow, that's neat. I, I love that. Yorick, we went through all of our, our things here. Is there anything else you want to dive into here? Or did we did we cover the, the big topics uh yeah i think that's it's good i mean we gotta maybe we'll start recording some of our D, &D sessions you can post those too oh wow you heard it here <laughs> first we're going to yeah i don't know if we do our own spin-off channel or if we yeah. do yeah <laughs> so but now i think it's been it's been fun i was a little like i said i was a little nervous i don't know i mean we'll see i uh, tina you said is leading the the way in downloads so we'll we'll see how we compete with that but um, I really appreciate being invited on. Yeah, it was it was fun, and I think what we find out every time too is before the show, people tell us, oh, "I don't know what I have to tell," and yeah. and then we end up having a great conversation and hearing some good stories. And I'll always remember you about to be burned by a cigarette. Yeah. 
<laughs> and remember Kate knocking you over in football. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Yark, to end the podcast, we ask this question every time. How has being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints help you to better connect with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, I think it goes back to that time where, you know, when I was in college and I was just looking if this is true or if it's not true. And um, I decided for myself that it was true and I need to live it. And by doing so, I mean, I married an outstanding, wonderful woman. Um, we have four beautiful children and we're raising them to you know, love the gospel, love others. And they're a great example to me of that. And I wouldn't have that without um, that choice that I made, but I wouldn't have it without our savior because he's the one that gives us hope. We live in a world right now that's kind of feeling hopeless. And I look at my kids and the youth in this ward and kids I will get to work with at school and they are filled with a lot of hope and um, I guess that just kind of brings me closer to my Savior and I'm grateful for the hope that he gives us. So good. I wanted to do a follow-up question on that because you talked about your own relationship with the Savior. And I think that that's constantly evolving for all of us. I, I think even President Nelson said that at 90-some years old, he's still finding new profound ways to connect with the Savior. What have you found in particular helps you to build a relationship with Him? Well, uh, well, definitely. I mean, like it's all this, what do we call the basic Sunday school answers. I notice a huge difference in my life when I'm reading my scriptures every day, when I'm getting my knees, getting on my knees to pray. Um, but I think just experience. There's no better teacher than experience. And our Savior and our Heavenly Father have all the experience and all the knowledge in the world. I remember um, just one memory that really sticks out to me about my relationship with um, my fa father changing was when I became a father. I, you know, I've talked a lot about Kate, and I, I mean, obviously um, love her, and but it wasn't immediate. I mean, she pushed me in the back to start. I wouldn't <laughs> say I loved her in that moment, but as we were dating, he married. I definitely fell in love and um, love her a lot. But I remember the first time I saw Evie, I instantly loved her. I, I mean, it was the weirdest thing because I was like, I would have jumped in front of a bus for her or whatever I needed to do. And I never felt that way so immediate about anybody. And then it just helped me realize, you know, that's, that's how our father and that's how our savior feel about us. Oh, wow. I, that just hit me too. So it's, you know, and I think as you get older and you get more experience, you start to see things the way the Savior does and the way our Heavenly Father does. And so just looking for those experiences and those opportunities to be better. Thanks, Yark. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks. Um, maybe we'll do a part two with Kate here. We will find you, Kate. We will. <laughs> That'll be good. She'll be great. All right. So in this episode of the Connection Podcast, we're on most podcast carriers, so please like and subscribe. The show's art is done by Joel Boreen, and the music is provided by Drew Boreen. We look forward to connecting to you next time. Until then, take care. <laughs> <laughs>